We are in, in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start reading from verse 17. So you remember last week, you may remember that uh, Jesus had sent out the 70. Some Bible translations say it was 72. So it depends on which manuscript they're looking at. Some manuscripts say 70, some say 72. Uh, But he sent them out in pairs. They went out to cities to prepare the way for Jesus to go and visit these cities. So we are in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start reading from verse 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And at that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father. For this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Okay, so in verse 17, the 70 return, and they say to him, they say to him, uh, um, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So that that was somewhat surprising to them. And and back up in uh, verse 9 of that same chapter, Jesus described to them some things that were going to happen to them on their preparing the town for, it, for him. He says, he says, heal those who in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he told them that they would be able to display acts of healing. He told them this. And, and, uh, but we don't see any mention of his telling them that they would have power over demonic spirits. And so they came back and they said, wow, we had this too. Jesus knew that, but it was somewhat of a surprise to them, and they came back reporting this. And he says to them in verse 18, he says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Okay, so, so they come back and they're really excited and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says, you know, I watch Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. This is clearly a description of what these 70 or 72 are going to have or had during this time period. We know that, that after Jesus goes, I mean, the persecution starts upon the disciples and many of them are killed. So Jesus had in this particular time for them, He had them so that they would be secure from any sort of harm. This was a season to take a verse and to say, you see that? He said that to them. This applies to me. Nothing will ever hurt me. 
is not true to the context of the scriptures at large. This was a particular season. These very same people, just six months later, are going to undergo severe persecutions. And so, this was at a particular time. He said this, but he says, I, he says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. If you look over in, in, uh, in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 12, uh, reading from, oh, let's say, say, um, verse 10, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a, with a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea. Because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So even in the, in the book of Revelation, it talks about how Satan was thrown out of heaven. When Jesus was born, at the birth of Jesus, Satan was thrown out of heaven and came to this earth and battled with Jesus on this earth. His minions, his helpers, there was a great battle against Jesus on this earth. And that's why we read in the Gospels, we read a constant confrontation with demonic powers. Every other page we see demonic powers and Jesus dealing against demons. If you think that that's what normal life is, it's not. Because if you look at the book of Acts, just the very next book after Jesus is taken, rises up from the earth, you see a much normal, much more normal sequence of dealing with demonic powers. You see demonic confrontation in the book of Acts, but the book of Acts extends over a 30-year period. Over a 30-year period, you have about three or four confrontations between the apostles and demonic powers. That's a typical amount of confrontation. So to think that you and I are going to deal with demonic powers coming against us every day, is probably not right, because that was a particular time period when the devil was thrown down to this earth and did battle with Jesus on this earth. That's what Jesus is describing over in Luke chapter 10. He's, he's, he's making reference to this, and, and so he goes on and he says, you know, I saw Satan fall. He says, but for this time period, you're protected. For this time period, you're going to have full authority over over, over his, uh, uh demonic powers, and in fact, he says that, that, uh, um, he says that nothing will injure you. In verse 19 of Luke chapter 10, nothing will injure you. So in this time period, he says, for right now, you guys are very well protected. God has his seasons of protection. He has seasons where, where afflictions come upon us. Now, why would God allow this? Because it's in the trials and in the attacks that we generally grow a lot. If everything is smooth, we have a tendency to walk away from God and to get fat and to, get, and to feel that, oh, why do I need, even need the Lord? It is in the trials of life that we actually improve. And then Jesus says to them in verse 20 of Luke chapter 10, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, 
that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So he says, let your rejoicing not be that spirits are subject to you. Because this is going to pass. I mean, there are going to be times when, when uh, you're going to experience real troubles. And if your rejoicing is based on how well things are going, you're going to end up having a rough life. He says, rejoice that your names are written in in the kingdom of heaven, your names are recorded in heaven. You rejoice in that because that's something that will never be taken away. You may lose your job, you may lose your money, you may lose loved ones, but your name being written in heaven, that's something that once we come into Christ, will never be taken away. That won't be taken away. Once we come to a point where we say, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. It is different just going to church Versus accepting Jesus in our lives and then going. We come to a point in our lives, and this happened to me when I was 18 years old, where I said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. That day, something changed in my life. It wasn't that I was trouble-free. It wasn't that I had total victory over sin. But it was that Jesus came into my life and something happened that day. This is something you can ask God to do in your life. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Make me different. Come into my life and forgive me for my sins. This is something that we can do. And then what, what happens is really very interesting. In verse 21, we are going to get a picture now of how Jesus praises God and worships. How did Jesus praise God and worship? Here it is. In verse 21, Luke chapter 10, verse 21. And at that very time, He rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. So this is how Jesus rejoiced. This is how Jesus rejoiced. Really interesting. Let's follow his pattern. Here's how he rejoiced. He said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. So he starts praising God for the things that he's seeing. He starts praising God for the things that God does. Interestingly, that is how Jesus rejoices. His way of rejoicing is to say, Father, I praise you for the things that you are doing here. That is how he rejoiced. How do we as believers, how do we as believers rejoice? Follow Jesus' pattern. We don't have to go to a bar and have a few drinks to rejoice. We can say, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you are doing. Jesus is sharing in the joy of these 70 that have gone out. He's sharing in their joy. He's sharing in the excitement of them doing ministry. Here they are out doing ministry. You go out and you do ministry. You may be really scared, but when you come back together that that afternoon or that evening, it's like, wow. Look what the Lord has done. That's why you take people who have gone off to the mission field. And they come back, they're like, do you know what God did? They come back with this level of excitement. And Jesus is excited with them. He's excited with them. And so he starts praising God. And look what he says. He says, you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. He says, these people, these 70 that I just sent out, These 70 or 72, these are infants. You concealed this from the wise and intelligent. The scriptures say in in James chapter 4, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
He opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So his opposition is to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Remember what we read a few weeks ago. The Pharisees in, in, in John's Gospel said to Jesus, uh, we're not blind too, are we? When Jesus said, heal the blind man and then heal the blind man spiritually. They said, we're not blind too, are we? He said, because you say, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But because you say, we see, now your sin remains. This is how much God despises pride in people. When we think, yeah, we've got it. We've got this thing figured out. Oh, don't worry, I I know all that already. That's a real problem. That is a real problem. God opposes the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. This is what He does. Let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start reading from verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. First Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So look what, he, look what he's saying to us. He directs us, he says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, in verse 18, it is the power of God. The word of the cross, that Jesus has died for our sins, that he's risen from the dead, that to us is life. To the believer in Jesus Christ, this is the essence of the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing. That my Lord has died, that He was buried, and He's risen from the dead. He lives. Because He lives, we have hope. This to us is life. To the world is foolishness. So don't be surprised when the people around you are like, what's all this stuff? Why do you get so excited about this? They just don't see. The scriptures tell us, to to the world, the word of the cross is foolishness. They're like, you're crazy. But to us, it is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. He says, where's the, in verse 20, where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Jesus said, you've hidden these from the wise and intelligent, and you've revealed it to infants, to those with an open heart. May God give us an open heart. May God keep us with an open heart to confess that, Lord, no, I don't know enough. 
Lord, show me. Lord, teach me. Lord, open up my heart. Because God conceals this from those who think that they are wise, who can figure this out. Let's go on and and read in verse um, uh, 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things of, that are. So that no man may boast before God, but by his doing you are in, <clears throat> you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So just... So so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So look what he says in verse 26. Consider your calling. You. Consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Okay. There were not many wise according to the flesh. How many of you here have received the Nobel Prize? Oh, none. Okay. So the point is, there are not many wise according to the flesh. In fact, it says God has chosen the foolish things of the world. That's who we are. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty. How many great heroes, war heroes, are here among you? Oh, none. Okay. Again, our point is proven. Not many mighty, not many noble. How many of you come from homes where, you're, where, where your parents have a billion dollars net worth? Okay, just one or two. No. No. So, so, this is not where God does most of his selection. He does it amongst common people. He has chosen us because we are the foolish of the world. And then what happens is God confounds the world, it says, through us. It's interesting, when I, when I get an email from somebody that I went to school with through high school. So I lived in the same town through high school. So, so the same, some of the same people that I was in elementary school with, I graduated from high school with. And they emailed me and they're like, how did you get to where you are? And that's so true. When you look at it by the world standards, how did I get to where I am? It is the grace of God. When I see what God started to place in my life, I was struggling with freshman chemistry because I was dropped in honors chemistry because they thought I was a chemistry major, just put them in honors. I needed to be with the regular people. And I was struggling with that. I got saved November 7th of my freshman year and things started to take off. I got a B-plus the end of my first semester and after that I became number one among all the chemistry students. God did something in my life. I can confess to you that this is the Lord. If you will seek the Lord, God will make you good in something. That I know. He will raise you up. This is what the Lord says. This is what His promise is. God has taken the foolish things of the world that He might confound the wise. That is what He says. Verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world 
That's what we are. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not that He might nullify the things that are. God has chosen the base things of the world. That means the things in the basement. God has chosen the base things of the world to confound the wise. If you and I will seek the Lord, God will do amazing things through us and it will confound the world. How did this happen? God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the mighty things, to shame the things that are strong. In myself, I am so weak. Sometimes I get in in my own quiet time in the morning and say, Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me for today. And I come out a roaring lion. And people think, wow, you know, you're so boldly going here and you do this and you do that. Yeah, because I boldly do that because I just spent a bunch of time on my knees crying out to God. And it's in His confidence that I go. Because I hear His word as He said to Gideon, go in this your strength. And then I can go, mighty in power. People are like, wow, you get before all these crowds, you're not even scared. Because I'm in the strength of the Lord. Because I just spent a bunch of time on my knees. Don't you see what God wants to do? He says, you have hidden this from the wise and intelligent. And you've revealed it to infants. And here Paul is saying, in the scriptures, he is saying that God is going to take you and confound the world if you will but give your heart to the Lord. If you will walk in faith. Because remember in Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. You must believe that God not only exists, but that He rewards those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 Lord, I believe You're going to do great things. So no matter how long or how short my life is, until the end, He's going to do great things. He's going to do great things because in death we also have victory, the Scripture says. God takes the base things of the world and He makes them strong. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. There are two genealogies of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. We've gone over this before, I think, in the first lesson on the chronological life of Jesus. The first or second lesson of the chronological life of Jesus, which was a long time ago now. I don't remember how long, maybe, maybe a year and a half or two years ago. But there are two genealogies recorded in the Scriptures. In order for Jesus to be Messiah, he must be the son of David. He must be a descendant of David. And it is going to be shown that he is a descendant of David in both of the genealogies. And, and, uh, and the reason I say that is, is because Joseph was a son of Jeconiah, which was a descendant of Solomon, a descendant of David. Had Joseph been the real father of Jesus, Jesus never could have been the Messiah. He never could have been king. Because God said of Jeconiah, Jeconiah was so bad that no descendant of you shall ever sit on my throne. Well, how's God going to solve that then? Well, because Jeconiah was a a, a far descendant of Solomon, who was a descendant of David. But David had other sons. One of his other sons was Nathan. Nathan 
is from his line that Mary comes. From his line, Mary comes, and that's from the line of Nathan, and that's talked about in the book of Luke. But we're going to look at this, this descendancy in Matthew, and for, for a reason in particular, because Matthew, there's only four women recorded in the genealogy of Jesus. It refers to Mary in the genealogy of Jesus in Luke through her husband. Because through her husband, because it always says of all the men, it says, it puts the definite article before their name. In the Greek, it's the so-and-so, the Nathan. But for, for Joseph, it doesn't have the definite article, and it doesn't have the definite article, which means that it's speaking of his wife. We've talked about this before, but in Matthew, he mentions four women, only four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. One might think that these four women would be really holy women. Well, let's look at the four women that Jesus mentions in the genealogy of Jesus, that, that the Bible mentions. Look in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The records of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So who is Tamar? Tamar was the mother of Perez and Zerah. It mentions a woman. Do you know what Tamar did? Tamar was married to Judah's son. And his son died. So he gives the next son to Tamar to raise up an offspring according to the law. He dies. So he's afraid to give another one of his sons to Tamar. So he promises to give her one of his sons as soon as the son becomes of age, but he breaks his promise. So what Tamar did is she disguised herself as a prostitute. She started hitting on him. He sleeps with her and she has Perez and Zerah. This is from an incestual relationship. Of all women to list in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus, why this woman? Because she's characteristic of us. She has sexual disorder in her life. And Judah himself unknowingly committed incest, but knowingly went with a prostitute. Tamar knowingly committed incest. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Let's read on. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. You see, he doesn't mention the wives very often. He only said... Tame, but by Tamar. He mentioned one. Now he, he's mentioning uh, uh, by Rahab. Who was Rahab? Prostitute. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the prostitute. Can you imagine? This was Rahab from Jericho who welcomed the spies. Why did the spies end up in Rahab's home? Because she's a prostitute. That's where men go. You want a place, to, you got to, you know, run in a city and hide? Well, where, where are you going to be always welcomed in? Into the home of a prostitute. So they go into this brothel. Rahab's brothel. Rahab's in there. She welcomes the spies. They reveal themselves who they are. 
And she hides them from the authorities because of that her family is spared. She partakes of the kingdom of Israel. She is now in the line. She's not of Jewish origin. She's from Jericho. Remember, they had just come into the land. She's not even of Jewish origin. She's in the line of the lineage of David. Why? Can you imagine? Do you know the, the emotional struggles that prostitutes have? They're not happy people. Because they're objectified every day of their lives. Very unhappy people. Jesus said, I want to come through her line. He's telling us something here. That no matter what your past, no matter what your past, He welcomes you. He says, I thank you that you've not revealed this to the wise and the intelligent, the mighty and the noble. But you've revealed it to the base things of the world. That is what Rahab was. Go on. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Who was Ruth? She was not of Jewish descendancy either. She was Ruth the Moabitess. She was from Moab. Though no sexual disorder listed particularly in her life, but in her ancestors' life, because the entire nation of Moab came through an incestual relationship between Lot, Abraham's nephew, and his oldest daughter. In fact, he had an incestual relationship with his oldest daughter and his younger daughter. And they got, the two daughters got him drunk, got Lot drunk, so that they could sleep with him on two separate nights. Moab was from the older daughter, the sons of Ammon from the younger daughter. This woman is from the descendancy of a line that started based on incest. This is the woman he puts in there. Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Who's Bathsheba? Some people list her as as an adulteress. I'm not quite sure that, that we should list her as that. She was certainly raped. David came on to her. David was the one who pulled her to himself brought her to his palace. And it's hard to think of how a woman can easily resist the king of Israel. In fact, Rahab's, uh, 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 um, uh, Bathsheba's husband was Uriah, one of David's mighty men. Her father was one of David's mighty men. And Ahithophel, her grandfather, was David's trusted counselor. If she had really been coming on to David, it's hard to think that God would have so protected her and had the descendancy come through her. But in any case, again, this is a woman who was at least raped by the king. Four women, that's it, are listed in the genealogy of David. All of them with some sort of sordid past. What does this tell us? That God reaches down And he takes the base things of the world and the despised, the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. To say, I want that person. That's the very one I want. And I'm going to confound the world through them. There are not many mighty among us. It doesn't say none. Not many noble. It doesn't say none, but it says not many. Not many wise according to the flesh. The most of us are the base things of the world and the despised. That's why 
God chooses you to confound the world. Whatever your past, wherever you are from, God calls you. And He says, come to me. Come to me. And watch what I can do through your life. If you will dedicate your life to Jesus, you watch what He will do. If you will walk in faith according to His Word, you watch what He will do. This is why when I, we send off students like, like, like uh, Nick, I mean, I know God is going to do great things with that young man. To the extent that he dedicates his life to the Lord. What God does with people is utterly amazing. If we seek him and submit to him, he will do great things through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord Jesus, your words are so true that the Father has hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed it to infants, to the simple of this world. Father, I pray that you take these young people and you bring them further than they could ever imagine because of a commitment to Jesus. That though they be the despised of this world, and the base of this world, that you would do great things through them. Father, I pray that they would walk in faith. In the name of Jesus. Amen.